I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. In December 2018, the uh, Environment Ministers set a new unified direction for waste and recycling for Australia, agreeing to a new national waste policy. With the principles of the circular economy, um, recognising the economic and job opportunities in re-evaluating recycling and resources in the Australian economy, state ministers with the federal ministers agreed to an urgent development of a national action plan that included funding elements, targets, milestones to actually deliver the policy. So it wasn't just a national waste policy about talking, it had uh, an action plan underpinning it. In November 2019 in Adelaide, um, we had a meeting of the Environment Ministers 12 months later and the Ministers at that time agreed to committing to some pretty ambitious waste reduction targets for all states and territories under a new National Waste Action Plan. In my podcast today, I thought we'd actually have a chat with uh, one of the principal drivers of the National Action Plan. Uh, Jason Mundy, First Assistant Secretary at the Environment Protection Division, Department of Agricultural Water and the Environment in Canberra. And uh, I've asked Jason to join me so we can actually explore six of the seven actions under the National Action Plan. We've heard a lot about the export bans, but what do we know about the action plan itself and the other elements? So before we start, Jason, welcome. And uh, perhaps you can give us a bit of an insight to... uh, uh, who and what you do at the Department of Environment, mate, please. Thanks, Rick, and, and thanks very much for, for having me on. Um, as you noted, I currently am in charge of the Environment Protection Division at the Department of the Environment, and that means we are largely responsible for helping to manage things that people put into the environment, whether they're uh, gases or substances or chemicals. Um, and as part of that, uh, it includes waste and recycling. Um, it's been a really big agenda for the government around waste and recycling in recent times. I joined the team a little under a year ago when the uh, concept of the waste ban and the action plan really took off. Uh, and I've been helping since then to try and help to organise some of that action with states and territories and to drive the Commonwealth's actions under the plan. So in terms of the uh, the action plan, perhaps we should start very briefly the National Waste Policy in 2018. That was really to coordinate uh, a, a sort of a broader agenda and then the action plan. Perhaps could we just have a quick refresh of the of the waste policy, mate? Oh, the waste policy was the culmination of a long period of discussion between states, territories and the Commonwealth about the need to coordinate our action and collective approach towards uh, waste. Um, it was a driver for the eventual agreement of the National Waste Policy Action Plan, which really seeks to give some life to that policy. Uh, Probably one of the really big things that the National Waste Policy recognised is that while Australia generates 67 million tonnes of waste a year, uh, we're not as efficient as we want to be at making sure that that's reused productively in 
uh, our economy. And so the action plan really tries to come up with a, a roadmap for doing the things that we need to do to get more effective at managing our own waste and getting better at recycling. So in, in terms of the, the action plan then, they going through item by item, the, plan, the action or the waste policy sets that broader agenda, then it comes down to what actions are we going to do and what timeframes are we going to achieve to achieve that higher strategic direction. Um, what are the actual actions that come out of the national policy if we potentially do one by one? There are seven of them. Uh, we won't bore the listeners with all seven at the beginning. We'll just go one by one. I think the uh, the first one, which says the ban of export waste, plastic, paper, glass and tyres commencing in the second half of 2020, well, we know that's now just been, the start date's just been moved out till January next year. So that's been well covered, well discussed uh, and still very much in action in process. But what to the next one? What's, uh, we have reduced total waste generated in Australia by 10% per person by 2030. That's uh, quite a significant action. Oh, it's a huge, big, overarching challenge. Um, target two. I might d- just put the the um, actions in in context. Maybe by the numbers, the the action plan it includes seven targets. They're big, overarching targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and under under those collectively, there are eighty actions. So there's eighty individual things that we've all agreed to do um, to achieve those seven headline targets. Uh, the responsibility for each of those actions is divided across the federal government, across state and territory governments, across industry, civil society. And in some instances, there's a big role for consumers to play as well. So it's very much a shared responsibility, national action plan, uh, which allocates jobs to everyone who is needed to come on board to, to do the um, actions that we need to uh, it's a bit front-loaded, like most plans are. So of those 80 actions, 34 are due to be delivered in 2020. So we're out of the blocks hard and fast trying to make 34. Us, 34 of those. By 2020. Yeah, earmarked to kick off by 2020. So, um, wow. Yep. That's As you can imagine, that's putting a, a fair bit of pressure on uh, everyone involved, industry, um, the governments, society, but good pressure to get us off to a running start to achieve the targets, which in some instances are a bit further out. They might, some of these targets and actions might not be scheduled for completion until 2025 or 2030, say, but um, it's really important that we build on the commitment that seems to be shared and really strong across jurisdictions at the moment at this early stage in kicking the plan off to get things rolling. So maybe as, as we talk through some of the individual targets, I'll be able to give you a picture of uh, where some of that action has has begun. That's a that's a really uh, interesting um, uh, response because I wasn't aware that uh, we. I, in fact, I haven't read it in detail enough to to say thirty four of our actions should have commenced by twenty twenty, and here we are in September twenty twenty. Um, I wonder how our scorecards going, but we won't address that at this point in time. So perhaps look the the, the that high level. Um, uh, action there to reduce total waste generated in Australia by 10% per person by 2030. How do you think we're travelling? Uh, like I say, that is one of the really big overarching and multifaceted challenges. It's it's one which engages every actor that I've listed uh, a moment ago. Um, it's multifaceted because it takes in aspects like innovation, um, 
design, uh, education and waste reduction. So there's a lot of separate component parts in there um, and there's a lot of effort needed to reach that ambitious target across all of the different sectors. So I think we're off to a good start. This is one of the ones where of the 17 actions that have been identified to achieve this target, um, we in the Commonwealth are the, the primary leaders for only two of them. Whereas, so, so that, I guess, demonstrates that responsibility for this clump of actions is shared um, across a, a lot of players. Um, one of those actions um, we've already ticked the box on, I'm pleased to say, which is uh, commencing innovation funding through um, the Cooperative Research Centre program under the Department of Industry, Science and Technology. So, Relatively recently, about the 20th of August, there was another $10 million round uh, of that program that's announced. Right. I did see that, and that's when they're on the uh, waste, uh, they've linked sustainable cities in the waste generation or waste policy type element within that. Yep. And that uh, those decisions, are, I assume that'll be out by the end of the year sort of thing, where those where those uh, projects will start then, Jase. Yeah, I don't have the um, the close date for those applications in mind, but I'd, I'd anticipate that it'll it'll be over the coming months, and then some um, then some decisions being made. And of course, that builds on some a fair bit of previous innovation funding through Cooperative Research Centre yes. program funding, which has which has done some really good projects that you'd be aware of. Just touching on that ten percent uh, number, we know that waste generation is inherently linked to the economic activity, and I think. I'm sure our 10% reduction is going to be on target to, for at least this year because our economic activity has virtually stopped uh, thanks to COVID. Yeah. Um, do you think, though, as we come out of COVID, the and will there'll be federal governments at all levels will want to have this uh, race to the front on uh, development and economic stimulus, that that will potentially put another speed bump in our way or are you comfortable that there's enough of the actions there and the traction to achieve that we shouldn't be too greatly affected by that economic growth? Yeah, no question. COVID is a curveball that none of us anticipated at the time we were writing the action plan and it will have unforeseen impacts on on our ability to achieve a number of these things. Um, I'd say, though, that I think it's actually a really good opportunity for us to think about the model as we're building that economic growth going forward. Um, One of the things that governments have undertaken to do through the plan is to try and increase sustainable procurement and use of recycled content. So Mm. that's another one of the drivers that will be in the minds of Commonwealth and state and territory governments as they're trying to look at economic development post-COVID, I'd imagine, and and hopefully it creates some of the synergies that help us to to get efficient about uh, how we reduce waste uh, while still pushing some of those economic development agendas. I I notice... uh with that, and I'll get to it when we talk about that uh, government procurement, I think we that, that really is one that we can give a big tick to at the moment because it's, it, there's a lot of traction there, but we'll come to that in a second. Um, Jason, the interestingly, the, 80, uh, the, the high-level uh, um, 80% average recovery rate from all waste streams by 2030, that really is one hell of a high bar. Um, that's a very ambitious um, number. And uh, yep. I think what, what, what's really interesting is, and I'll put it into some context when I say that's a high bar, I just did some, uh, recently the Queensland Government released its 2018-19 recycling waste report. Uh, it's my home, home state and uh, I have to say uh, our performance presents pretty poorly at this point in time, um, even with the introduction of the waste levy a couple of years ago. 
They've reported municipal solid waste at 27.3%, uh, commercial industrial at 497 and construction and demolition is a much better at 58 but still way below the, the 80% target. Um, do you think the states fully appreciate what that 80% ambitious target really means across all streams? Because there has to be a, a more, than, more than a quantum change there has to be a fundamental shift in mindsets across a whole lot of orders to hit that, wouldn't you think? Yeah, indeed. I, mean, I, I won't. I won't endeavour to speak for the states, but I, my, my suspicion is that uh, that they understand better than anyone exactly what that challenge yeah. means and and how difficult it's going to be. Um, so when we say that there are ambitious targets that we've set through the National Waste Policy Action Plan, they sure are. We're not joking. Um, that that's that's a tough mark yeah. to meet. Um, and twenty thirty is is. You know, sometimes it feels like a long way away, but for for that target, it's clear we need to get moving on on actions. It's probably that's one of the reasons that's been one of the most active uh, areas, I guess, for us at least. I can give um, sort of a run of some of the some of the things we're doing. Um, You'll have seen the Recycling Modernisation Fund announcement yes. probably a little while back. So that's a federal government commitment of $190 million, which it's a companion piece to the waste export ban. Um, when we consulted industry and stakeholders about implementing a waste export ban, one of the clearest signals we got uh, was that we needed to build capacity in Australia to ourselves remanufacture and process that waste uh, and so it was clear that some sort of commitment uh, to drive uptake and, and increase capacity was necessary. Uh, that's the uh, Recycling Modernisation Fund, which we've been working really closely with states and territories uh, to roll out, um, which we expect to to go a long way towards filling some of that capability gap. Um, product stewardship actions are another one of the major headlines under uh, this particular target. So, again, there's been a huge focus by us around product stewardship. Um, you'll have seen through the legislation uh, that Kristen Tilley spoke about on an earlier podcast uh, that updating the Product Stewardship Act uh, and its components as part of the new legislative agenda to give uh, stronger drivers to uh, encourage voluntary product stewardship schemes and to uh, incentivise people to um, to, to hold product stewardship uh, dearly and important. And that's just gone into Parliament at the moment. That's going through Parliament as we speak. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's been introduced to Parliament recently, which is mm. really exciting. And um, it's been backed in with a recent call for um, applications under a product stewardship investment fund, which yes. you might have seen as well. So that went out a couple of months ago. We weren't sure what kind of uptake we'd get. Uh, it's... Overall, it's a $20 million National Product Stewardship Investment Fund, and we, we put it out there to see what sort of interest that would raise from uh, potential proponents of product stewardship schemes in Australia. Like like I say, we didn't didn't know what sort of response we'd get. It's been huge. Um, so we've had... Oversubscribed. Yeah, in all likelihood, which is a great place to be. It shows that there's a really strong appetite and interest in, in those product stewardship schemes and industry bodies and players willing to try and uh, improve... Uh, their um, performance and outcomes in that space. Um, probably the other thing that I'd mention as well in terms of recovery is that demand, and this this maps again to um, to procurement, but demand is a really important piece. So making it easier for recycled content, particularly the four commodities subject to the waste ban, to be used in infrastructure projects is important. 
So the Department of Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Development has been working really hard on standards and specifications for use of, say, crushed glass, crumbed rubber, mixed plastics in road base and other constructions that we hope will make it easier for industry and state and territory governments to take up some of those waste commodities in their own constructions. I think what we're getting here is a, a sense of um, consistency and a sense of structure with this whole um, policy and action plan. You, it, it's multifaceted, as you said, across the stakeholders. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot of different tentacles to be exploring, I think, as we go along in this process. I mean, certainly the, the infrastructure and the recycled content, the standards is critical. If you don't get the standards right, you, you're not going to do it. So, yep, absolutely. Um, good leadership. Very, very solid leadership. So I guess the... That's so great. Yeah. No, but, but it is, you know, um, because, I mean, for years the government, the uh, the federal government missing in action in so many different ways and we're very critical and now all of a sudden you've come out of the starting blocks and you're 80 different actions. is pretty impressive. It, it's it's an unprecedented level of focus and activity in, in this space and it's been really exciting to be a part of it, Rick. I'd, I'd say from a, from a personal perspective, the... Um, some of the most satisfying but also difficult parts of your, your job in a in, in a role like mine is um, problem solving. Mm. Uh, that in many ways that's sort of the apex of, of what we need to do and it certainly helps when everybody has a common perception of the problem and a common desire to fix it and I think that's where we're at with the waste and recycling challenge. Do you think the um, federal procurement um, standards at a federal level, uh, when do you think they'll be sort of signed off within government procurement? Because that really will be that demonstrating that leadership for the states then follow uh, in suit, won't it? Yeah, so I'd, I'd say all jurisdictions have signed up to the commitment to significantly increase the use of recycled content. Um, mm. So that's target four. Industry signed up for that commitment too, of course. And the PM announced at the uh, National Plastics Summit earlier this year that we would strengthen the Commonwealth procurement guidelines to make sure that every procurement undertaken by a Commonwealth agency considers environmental sustainability and the use of recycled content as a factor when they determine value for money. So that's the piece we've been working on. Uh, we've been working with the Department of Finance on updates to the Commonwealth procurement rules and also to the Sustainable Procurement Guide, which is administered by our department uh, to make it easier for Commonwealth departments to make decisions to use recycled content and sustainable practices. I look forward with interest to reading the, where we actually remember that because I think, look, it's everyone's beaten the drum for that for years and I think the fact that now we've got some traction there is, is, is fundamentally important. The next one that I'm uh, looking at in front of me here um, at the target is to phase out problematical and unnecessary plastics by 2025. Jason, I guess the challenge we have from an Australian perspective here with little or no influence and so much comes in internationally you know, where in many respects you get what you get, not necessarily what you want. Um, that is a challenge in that one. But I think uh, with the focus by the oceans and the focus now with plastics and uh, the leadership in Australia and saying we're not going to send our crappy plastics overseas, that's, got, that's probably got a bit more traction than uh, we thought when they first put it down. Yeah, I think the product stewardship piece maps well to this mm. as well because the greater responsibilities producers take for the materials that they, they put into the market, then the easier it is to clean them up at, at the end. Uh, you'd be aware of the Australian Packaging Covenant Organisation's 2025 national packaging yes. targets as well, and this 
this commitment maps pretty strongly to those. Um, so that target of 100% of Australian packaging being reusable, recycling or compostable by 2025 um, and the eradication of problematic and unnecessary single-use plastic packaging are commitments that, that there's been a, at least a bit of a run-up to these ones because APCO has been focusing on them for, for a little while. We're trying to draw together some of that work. Uh, we held Australia's first ever National Plastics Summit in March at Parliament House, and that drew together industry, uh, governments uh, and civil society to talk about um, what some of the options might be to address those plastic challenges. It gave us a bunch of good ideas, and the next play for us will be to produce a national plastics plan before the end of the year that um, gives a little bit more meat on the bones of, of how we're going to get there and hopefully bring along uh, some of the many players who need to play a role in, in getting that job done. This is one for that the, you talked about the various stakeholders. This is the one the consumer um, can actually play a big role in and demanding because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're the ones buying it and using it. And I think uh, uh, there is a general uh, underflow within the community at the moment that if plastics have had enough of it and they want to actually change. But that I would have put, mm. whilst that's not so much the waste and recycling industry challenge, that certainly is the generator of the use of the manufacturer and the consumer, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's increasing consumer awareness and interest in this stuff too. And uh, I'd, I'd really like to see... Um, clear advice to consumers expanded through, for example, the Australian Australasian recycling label, which is if you look at much of the, you know, much of the packaging that you see on the supermarket shelves these days, it'll have the Australasian recycling label, which will tell you what you can do with each component part of the um, of the packaging that you're holding, you know, the plastic wrap goes in the bin, the large container is recyclable, um, you know, films can go back to the store for recycling and having that sort of clear advice to consumers can help people make the right calls. Certainly a picture tells a thousand stories but it'd be nice to have those icons a little bit bigger for those that have to wear glasses. We can see it a lot easily without having to put the glasses on at the time. But, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, uh, it does change it. Um, and I guess... Leading to the next one, mate, the uh, organic waste to landfill, we've got, we're going to look at halving that um, uh, target of by 2030 and that links back to that uh, recovery rate um, synopsis. I, I guess I make an observation there. Um, organics have a huge opportunity in Australia because of the soils we have uh, and are inherently poor. But we have this conundrum where the greatest volume of organic material is generators in the urban area, but the greatest potential market or user is actually in the rural, in the food bowls. Yep. Um, do you think we're bringing those two uh, joining of the chain together a little bit more effectively there? I mean, uh, I don't think there's any doubt we can recover it, but we've got to get it into those markets, don't we? Yeah, there's, uh, look, I think this is a really exciting one. I, I think of, of all the targets, this is one of the ones where I think we can make some really big progress. And you look at food waste, uh, of the 67 million tonnes of waste that Australia generates a year, something like 12 or 13 of that's organics, and about 7 mm -hmm. and 7.3 million tonnes is, is going into landfill every year being wasted. So that's potentially usable commodities. It costs us as a nation about $20 billion a year and any given household it costs in the order of, you know, two, three, up to $4,000 a year just in, in wasted food. So 
there's a huge opportunity for us to make some productive use of, of those um, organic materials. Like you say, the the transport chain is part of that challenge. Um, one of the main things that we've got underway at the moment is standing up a new independent entity around this food waste challenge. So, again, you, you might be aware that there was recently um, a call for applications for um, organisations to uh, to host that and become that new independent food waste what, entity. What a, with, a bit of detail around that, Chase. What what exactly is that? Yeah, so it was four, four million four million dollars to form a food waste governance entity. To use a bunch of very bureaucratic <laughs> words, it's a, it's a group to bring together the series of actions that we need um, to address this food waste challenge, including things like a voluntary commitment program for industry. Um, looking at prevention of food waste, how can we reuse food, and also how do we address some of those food chain challenges, including through innovation. So that's that's one of the ways that we hope to provide a focal point for addressing some of these challenges going forward. Now, we're looking at those applications now, and I'd expect later this year we'll, we'll hopefully have identified somebody to, to lead that body of work. And that would be naturally then they'll have those they'll actually then probably take ownership of that uh, specific action in the in the process then Jason yeah there'll be a key player in in pulling together um, many of the groups who need to cooperate to deliver that that target I think in uh, the the seventh uh, main target which has various uh, actions under it um, and it's quite an interesting one it's quite dear to my heart where you talk about data and make comprehensive economy wide and timely data publicly available to support better consumer investment and policy decisions. I mean, if you can't manage it, you can't measure it. You can't measure it, you can't manage it. Um, I guess uh, with those, with that data comment, um, there's a great challenge in actually state legislation aligning with federal legislation a lot of the time, but there's a greater challenge in the fact that now we've got the nationals playing very much in this waste space, but we've got... Um, the starter's gun's gone off in all the states where we're using different terminology, different measurement sticks. Uh, municipal solid waste, I don't think, has a standard term across any state. So, therefore, if we don't have the standard definitions, we're not measuring what we want to need to measure. How do we pull that data model together, Jason? How do we make it more effective when we've got this disconnect at a state level on all the definitions? I think, Rick, like you, like you identify, it's a long road. Uh, this is a target uh, for which there are seven actions identified, mm -hmm. and it's no coincidence that all seven of those actions are intended to be led by the Commonwealth. <laughs> it, it, it's it's because um, while each jurisdiction nationally uh, does its own good job of tracking waste within its borders, we we sometimes end up with rail gauge issues between uh, what sort of data states collect and how they collect it so that we're at risk of having apples and uh, apples and oranges um, being compared at the end of the day. Uh, the government did announce $24.6 million of new funding for a national waste data visualisation platform recently. So one of the goals of that spending uh, will be for us to try to harmonise some of the data uh, that's coming through from all of the jurisdictions and present it in a way that tells a matched up story nationally and which um, 
consumers can use, which businesses can use to try and um, inform investment decisions and which uh, governments can use as well for the purposes of compliance, uh, policy making, preventing arbitrage. There's so many benefits from improving our data um, and it's, it is going to be a, a – it's very finicky work um, comparing and harmonising data approaches, mm. but it's really important for us to, to do that and it's one of the key things that we're focusing on under the plan. I don't think there's any doubt we've actually got the data. It's actually how we read that data and how we actually interpret that data because you, everyone has to, anyone, most states these days require industry and business and local government to report that information. Yep, indeed. And we do have, so it's not as if, yes, um, we would ideally like more data and better harmonised data um, to be able to inform our decisions and, and how uh, people act. But there is uh, some existing strong data sources. So one of the commitments that the Commonwealth makes under the action plan is to publish the National Waste Report every two years. Mm -hmm. The next National Waste Report, uh, we're currently in the process of compiling with really good input from all of the states and territories, and I'd expect that to be out later this year. So that'll be the next uh, snapshot of how we're going against some of these goals and targets and will hopefully be a useful resource for, for people. I think what would be useful also is if we have a, you talk about the data as a central portal where um, we're reporting the National Action Plan, we're reporting the, the waste policies, but what I think the missing link is is actually showing within those links the various state policies or the state action plans and it may be quite useful and I just put it out there that as part of that um, reporting matrix is Wherever we have the federal reports, we actually have links back into the various state jurisdictions. So everyone who's in those states can actually have that inherent look because if you start looking around the various, it's a minefield to go through government websites to uh, find where those, the reports are there, the information's there, but trying to actually find that central portal yep. to link it together, I think would be quite useful. Yeah, can be a can be a case of too much of a good thing sometimes with data. If there's oh. uh, if there's lots of different sources and finding the Correct. finding a you know a single uh, authoritative source is is the challenge. So um, hopefully the the creation of the the new national waste data visualization platform over the coming years helps with that. Yeah, I, I guess the of the um, you've said we've got 34 actions by 2020. That leaves us with a significant numbers over the next nine. Uh, months, you know, 40-odd out of that. Where do you think, uh, at what point do we drop off the 2024 or 2020 targets and start to look at the, the other remaining 46, do you think? Because, I mean, there's a there's a balance in trying to do too much too quick, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And there, there's always a challenge of balancing the, the immediate with the strategic and longer mm -hmm. term. So we, we've very much been focusing on making sure that we don't lose sight of the headline targets in the pursuit of individual actions. And just for, for what it's worth, Rick, I, I'd, I'd say that... Uh, from where I sit, the achievement of the headline targets is is probably the the place where we need to be focusing most of our attention. Uh, if you know some of the individual actions are in, involve pieces of research and, and work which are entirely worthy, but the consequences of them um, you know, slipping in delivery by a couple of months from one year into the next is small compared to the consequences of not achieving the headline targets. Well, I think the headline targets really are the actions because from those everything else cascades. And if you're not, if you haven't got your focus on that, then you, you know, 
the specifics and you shouldn't be reliant on just a specific action under those particular targets. It's, it's all part and parcel of the process. Of course, with I mean, as we noted earlier, and COVID's provided a bunch of challenges that nobody anticipated at, at the start of the of the year. And I, my current assessment is that overall, all of the various parties, state, territory, governments, industry, civil society, APCO, um, performing pretty well against the the deadlines and the tasks that have been set through the plan under the circumstances. Um, but, you know, it's certainly the case that it's been a disrupted and disruptive kind of year, so we, we need to need to take that into account while we deliver these actions. But I do think that the um, COVID provides a, a quantum shift in mindset change to us all because, you know, we're now talking, we exposed how reliant we were on international manufacturing. So now we've actually got to say, well, you know, there's a, there's a general intent now, we've got to start looking internally at uh, read manufacturing. So that provides an opportunity for all this sort of stuff to take place. Yeah, and uh, really, Rick, I, I think, like I said at the outset, there's a, there's a lot for all of the players involved in the action plan to be proud of in terms of the level of energy and focus that they've brought to this challenge uh, and the amount of progress that we've made in, in light of some of those um, constraints during this year. I would agree. And I, I guess... Um, in probably wrapping up to some degree, there's a hell of a lot of information on, on the government website. Um, the link of www.environment.gov.au, that does provide sort of like the catalyst of the central portal for the information. It's got the actions, it's got the uh, report cards, it's got a whole lot of other stuff in there. At what point do you think um, we move to next? We have the federal export bans. Uh, that legislation kicks off and gets going. Where to next with this is do, you, do we have a review in 2021 of the action plan and the way it's policy, mate, or is it just sort of business as usual now, bunkering down and getting on with it? No. I think there is a big element of we just need to get on with it, but also I think we need to hold um, ourselves and one another accountable for delivering the actions under the plan, and one of the ways that we will do that is through establishment of a cross-sector reference group. Uh, that's one of the commitments under the plan that we'll look to move forward with later this year. Uh, that'll be one checkpoint for uh, bringing together uh, a few players from states and territories, Commonwealth government and uh, other sectors to uh, really look at how we're going in delivering the plan. Uh, and we'll we'll be reporting to and through that group as well as I, I would think publicly over the years ahead on how we're going against achieving some of these targets so people can sort of keep up with the keep up with the progress. <laughs> well, I think there's so many different initiatives out there, as you say, the organics, there's APCO, there's the the Covenant guys, um, you know, the, the, there's the CRCs of the world and stuff. It, it is, it's really just a big jigsaw and how we pull it together. But certainly from a, a stakeholder that had a lot uh, over the years of being fairly critical of the federal government's missing in action, you know, you not only came out of the starting box, but you've sort of <laughs> blown the competition away with, this, with both money and uh, actions. It's been a really, really big, big year, and it's it's good to be in such a you know exciting space and one. Like I said, there's a common understanding that there's a there's a problem here that we need to work together to solve, and it, it's always a, a good starting point when everyone's got a um, shared appreciation of the challenge and a shared commitment to trying to meet it. And that's where we're at now, so it's a good place to be, Rick. No, that's great, mate. And listen, thanks very much for your uh, uh, contribution here, Jason. I think. Uh, we will check back in down the track on this with you to see how we're going. Might start. Uh, I'd be interested actually to have a bit of a chat to you about what the other 46 
actions might be and what you know what's on the radar because I think it's important you've got to look behind but you've also got to know what's coming down the track as well so uh, to you and your colleagues well done and um, thanks and, and I do appreciate the fact that we've now I hope for our listeners provide a bit more of an insight to what what is behind this action plan itself all right thanks Rick thanks mate take care Thank you.